If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been walking through the book of Romans together. Uh, we started in uh, just after Easter, and we are now into chapter 12. We're going to pause for the next four weeks, and we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about two verses in the book of Romans that I think are some of the most important verses in this book, and certainly they're very timely verses for us today in the world that we live in. And we're calling these four weeks, you may know that we're calling our Romans series, we've been calling it free, because Paul talks very uh, often that God's salvation is a free gift through Jesus Christ. But we're going to call these four weeks living a repurposed life. And we talked about at the start of the service, this idea of repurposing things. And we know it's a popular thing. There's plenty of reality TV shows that follow people as they repurpose items. Uh, It's something that we watch people do. In fact, as I was trying to think of an example of something that's repurposed, one of the things that came to mind is this entire building that we're sitting in. If you were here with us uh, three years ago, we started a renovation project in this building and um, changed a lot of things. And some things that you see in front of you today uh, were in this building before, but they're not what they used to be. For example, uh, when we were renovating, we made the very controversial decision uh, to take out the pews and to put in chairs. So then you have the question, well, what do you do uh, with the pew wood? right? We didn't want to throw it all away. It's good. And so someone in the church, they took that pew wood and they milled it down and they made a bunch of moldings and turned it in to the top of the altars that you see here. It's also the top of our sound booth. All of that wood that's on top of these altars and why I kind of freak out if someone puts their drink there is because this is the old pew wood uh, that sat in this building Uh, for a long, long time, for decades and decades. The the building was built in 1896. I don't know if those pews were original, uh, but they might have been. And so they've been here a long time. And so it's kind of cool to find ways to repurpose uh, what was already here and to leave it in the room. We're going to be talking over the next few weeks about the fact that we believe that when you come and follow Jesus, that God repurposes our lives, that he takes what is old and makes it new. That he takes what has lost purpose and gives it new purpose. So we're going to spend some time in these just two verses. There's a a well-known pastor and author named Tim Keller. He's in Manhattan. And he wrote that these two verses, these two verses are the most important verses in all of the Bible when it comes to living the Christian life. And I think that's very true. And so I think it's important that we pause and take our time a little bit and talk through these together. This is what I'm going to ask us to do. I have these two verses up on the screen, and rather than me just read them to you, I'd like for us all to read them together. And so we're going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 together. Would you read it with me? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
When's the last time you saw someone do something that made you scratch your head and wonder how they could possibly think that was a good idea or they could possibly have that perspective? When is the last time uh, you heard someone say something or you watched someone do something and you looked at it and you said to yourself, that is totally foolish and irrational? Maybe you were driving this week and somebody cut you off and you said to yourself, if you want to see someone that doesn't know what they're doing and isn't thinking straight, you should look at that person right there because they're foolish and they're being irrational. Or maybe someone at work this week decided to share with everybody their political views and what they believed, and as they were sharing all of those views without being asked, you thought to yourself, how is it possible that somebody could have that perspective? It just doesn't make sense to me. Or maybe your child this week took their crayons and their markers and drew their best artwork ever all over the living room wall. And you looked at it and you thought to yourself, how does that make sense? Why would they do that? Totally irrational. It's true. People do things around us. People say things and do things that every once in a while we look at it and we say to ourselves, how could they think that way? Or why would they think that was a good idea? I don't know if you saw this a couple of months ago, but on July 30th, a man by the name of Luke Akins did something that to me is pretty irrational. Luke Akins, uh, he uh, trains Navy SEALs skydiving, and he has thousands of skydives to his name. In fact, I've heard that he has as many as 16,000 jumps to his name. This jump that he did live on national television was different than any other jump he had ever done before. The main difference between this jump and all the other jumps is that this jump, Luke Akins went up to 25,000 feet and jumped without a parachute. He climbed all the way up to 25,000 feet. To me, it would be totally irrational to jump out of a plane from 25,000 feet with a parachute. But Luke decided to do it without a parachute. And of course, he reached terminal velocity, traveling at 120 miles an hour, and he soared through the sky for well over a minute. And finally, he landed safely in a net that had been set up. To me, totally irrational. <laughs> When's the last time that you saw someone do something that you said to yourself, that just doesn't make sense, or it seems foolish, or it's totally irrational? You know, the truth is, a lot of people in our world would look at people who say they believe in Jesus, and not just people who believe in Jesus, but who then live the way that God asks us to live right here in this book, most people would look at that in our world and they would say people who follow Jesus and actually do what this book that was written thousands of years ago say, those people are totally foolish and irrational. It's probably no secret that that's the perspective. 
that if we really live out what's in this book and if we do the things that God calls us to do and, and more than we, we love people the way that God calls us to love people, which is really hard sometimes, and we're generous the way that God calls us to be generous and we handle money the way he asks us to handle money and we handle our relationships and, and things like sex that God invented the way that he asks us to handle them, if we do all of that that, that God asks us to do in this book, people look at us like we've lost our minds. I think the common line is, how could someone in 2016, how is it even possible that in someone in 2016 could not only believe that Jesus is the Messiah and is salvation and is the only way? That's one thing. But then also on top of it, do everything that this book says. How could you possibly live that way? It's totally foolish and irrational. I had a friend who, not too long ago, went to see his financial advisor. And his financial advisor had told him that he was not saving enough money for retirement. And so they were going to get together, and they were going to try to fix this problem. So the financial advisor said to him, listen, I've been looking over your tax returns, and I've solved the problem. If you just stop giving away so much money each year, if you give away less of your income, uh, you'll have plenty of money to save for retirement. Now, this friend of mine tried to explain to this financial advisor that he really felt like God had called him to give that money away, to be generous with that money. But there was no possible way that he could make that person think that he wasn't out of his mind for doing it. Because when we do what God asks us to do, People are going to look at us, people that don't follow Jesus are going to look at us, and they're going to think we're being totally irrational. They may say something like, how is it possible that you would live that way? Or how could you in 2016 think that way? And maybe you're here this morning and you say to yourself, and you're saying to yourself, yeah, that's exactly why I don't believe in this is because it is irrational to live that way. It is irrational to think that way. Or maybe you're in here, in here this morning and you're on the fence with this. And you've been thinking about this and you've been saying, yeah, I've been struggling with this. Is it rational? Is it logical? Is it wise to do the things that this book says? Well, this morning we're going to look at just the first verse here in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. Just Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul answers this question for us as to whether or not doing what this book says and doing what God asks us to do is rational and logical or if we're fools and we've just lost our mind. We read the verse together, so what I want to do over the next couple of minutes is just walk through it phrase by phrase with you. This is how Paul begins. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. And maybe you've heard a pastor say this before, but whenever you're reading your Bible and the word therefore is there, you probably should ask yourself what it's there for, right? And the reason that this therefore is there is for the fact that Paul is moving us from one big idea in the book of Romans to another big idea. We talked about it last week, a little bit. Paul has been telling us for 11 chapters what we've been saved from. If you follow Jesus, you've been saved from sin. You've been saved from your brokenness, Paul said. You've been saved from a broken relationship with God. You've been saved from an eternal separation from God. You've been saved from all of that. And Paul said it over and over again through the first 11 chapters of Romans. Now, there's this big shift here at the beginning of Romans chapter 
12, Paul's moving from talking about what we've been saved from to talking to us about what we've been saved for. And what he does is he invites us to come along with him. Therefore, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, he says. And that whole phrase, I appeal to you, and the fact that he uses the term brothers is Paul just inviting us to join him. I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we think that God has his finger pointed at us and he's saying, you better do this or else. But many times in the New Testament when Jesus is talking or when a writer like Paul is writing, it's more of an invitation than a finger pointing. It's not a demand, it's an offer. There was a man by the name of uh, Harvey Pinnock and Harvey Pinnock, in 1920, became a golf pro as a young man. And he picked up a little uh, red notebook when he started his job there, and he started to write down little notes about golf. And I read this story in, in Reader's Digest. They said that, that Harvey kept these notes until 1991. For 71 years, he kept writing down notes in the same red notebook. And the only person he showed the book to for 70 years was his son. Finally, in 1991, he took his little notebook to a local writer, and he said to the writer, do you think that anyone would publish, want to publish this book, stories about golf and, and thoughts about golf? The writer read the notebook, and he said, you know what, Harvey, I think someone would like to publish this book. And so he started to shop it around to publishers. Well, one night the local writer called Harvey's wife and said, would you please tell Harvey that Simon & Schuster has agreed to publish the Little Red Notebook into a book. It's called the, the, the Little Red Book of Golf. It sold over a million copies. But they said, uh, Simon & Schuster said, uh, they're going to give him an advance of $90,000 to publish the book. So the author, the local writer, said to Harvey's wife, would you just tell him that Simon & Schuster is going to give him an advance of $90,000 to publish the book? Well, the next time that the local writer saw Harvey, Harvey was quite downtrodden and upset. And the writer was surprised, because here they had this great news from Simon & Schuster. And he said to Harvey, he said, Harvey, what is wrong with you? What's the matter? And he said, I've got to tell you, I don't think we can do this book. And the writer said, why not? And Harvey said, listen, I'm an old man. I'm 90 years old. I've got a lot of medical bills, and there is no way that I can pay Simon & Schuster $90,000 to publish this book. <laughs> and the writer said to him, no, 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 Harvey, you've got it all wrong. They are giving you $90,000 to write your book. And that's how sometimes we come to these invitations in Scripture. What we think is we think that Paul is making a demand on us. He's not making a demand on us. He's inviting us to something. He's inviting us to something. And he says, I appeal to you. I'm opening the door to you. I'm asking you to come with me in this. Come with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, your Bible might say, or the, the version we're using says, by the mercies of God. In view of God's mercy or by the mercies of God. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, very quickly, he's talking about everything we've talked about through Romans chapter 11. The fact that God created us and he made everything perfect and we had a relationship with him and we messed that relationship up because God asked us to do certain things and we didn't do them. And so sin entered the world and our relationship with God was broken. And even though we couldn't offer anything to God to fix that relationship, he offered us his son 
and sent Jesus Christ to live on this earth and die on the cross for our sins and be raised again that we might have our, that if we believe in him and trust in him, our relationship with God might be restored not only here in this moment, but for all eternity. And it's a free gift that God gives us. That's God's mercies Paul is talking about. So this is what he says in this verse. I'm offering you an invitation, friends. In light of all that God has done, in light of all of his mercies, this is what he says we should do. And and by the mercies of God, this is what Paul says. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In this phrase, in this verse, Paul starts using some temple language, okay? In the Old Testament, the Israelites had a temple where they would offer sacrifices. And even at this time, when he's writing this letter, there's a temple where the Israelites would offer sacrifices. In the Old Testament, there's two kinds of sacrifices that are offered with animals, where an animal has to die for the sacrifice to take place. One is a sin offering. The other is something called a whole burnt offering. We don't really have time to get into it a lot this morning, but the offering that Paul's talking about here, the offering that he's alluding to, is the whole burnt offering. And here's what would happen in a whole burnt offering. A person would take an animal from their flock of great value, and they would offer the entire thing to God. And everything would be consumed in that offering. So they would receive nothing back. And that whole burnt offering was an offering showing complete devotion and complete um, worship to God, that everything that I have is God's. And so they would take the best that they had and they would give it to God completely. And Paul's saying, take everything that you have, take your body, take everything that you have and present it before God, showing that you are completely devoted to him. And then he makes this little statement that's really kind of ironic and odd. He says that we're to be living sacrifices, that we're to be living sacrifices. Now that word sacrifice literally means to die. That word sacrifice means to die. So what Paul says is what you need to do is you need to live like you're dead. What does he mean by that? Present your body as living sacrifice. Present yourself as someone who is living even though you are dead. Well, it reminds me of what Jesus said in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. He said, if anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For anyone who tries to save his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life for my sake, he will be the one who will save it. What Paul is saying is that God is not just interested if we're willing to die for him. He's also interested if we're willing to live for him. Now, I'm I'm married. I've been married for 10 years to my lovely wife, Lori, here in the front row. And I can tell you that if I was to say to Lori, Lori, no matter what happens, if push comes to shove and there's a situation where it's my life or yours, I promise you that I will give my life ahead of yours. If it comes down and it's just one or, th- one or the other of us, I will die for you. That's a promise. Now, that's great. I'm sure you appreciate that, right? But here's the deal. How much does that matter if I'm a jerk every day of our marriage? If I go to Lori and I say, listen, Lori, push come to shove, I'll die for you. But then each and every day, 
I live in our relationship like I don't love her and, and, that, uh, and that she doesn't mean that much to me. But if push comes to shove at the end, if it's between you and me, I'll give up my life for you. And I think sometimes when we think about doing something great for God, we think about maybe those big moments, the people who would give their life for God. And if there was a gun to my head and someone said, say, den- uh, you know, denounce God or I'll pull the trigger, we would say, I won't do it. But God isn't so much uh, interested in if we'll die for him. I mean, that's good. He's interested in that. That's a good thing. But he's also really interested in whether or not we'll live for him. If whether or not we'll die daily to ourselves. If I'll die daily to myself in my relationship and say, Lord, because God's given you to me and because I love you, I'll die daily to myself and I will love and serve you. I know I don't do it perfectly, but we won't get into that all right now. But that's what I should be going for. That should be the aim, right? And the same thing in our relationship with God. It's one thing to say, God, one day I'll be with you in heaven and one day I'll give my life up for you. But to be the kind of person who is able to wake up every single day and say, all right, God, today I die to myself, I die to my own desires, and I am living for you. God is really concerned and really interested if we are willing to live for him and do the things that he is calling us to do. And this is where it gets really hard. Because if we do the things that God is calling us to do, then people are definitely going to look at us and think that we have lost our minds and that we're foolish, and we're totally irrational. If we handle our possessions the way that God calls us to handle them, if we handle our relationships the way that God calls us to handle them, if we, if we love people and care for people the way that God calls us to love and care for people, people are going to look at us and think that we're totally irrational and that we've lost our minds. But God is asking us through these verses, and Paul's saying, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to die to yourself daily and live for me, are you willing to be dead? And Paul gives us his invitation. Listen, I'm inviting you. In light of everything that God's done for you, in light of all of God's mercies, will you, on a daily basis, die to yourself and live for him? Is everything that you have God's? Are you willing to do what God is calling you to do? And then Paul says this last piece, that doing this, that being a living sacrifice, is your spiritual worship. Or maybe your Bible says, is your spiritual act of worship. We don't have a lot of time to get into it, but I just want to talk real quickly about the word spiritual and the word worship. It's interesting when you look at the Greek words. That word that's translated spiritual is actually the word logitas, which we get logic, thoughtfulness. And the word that's translated worship there it's a word called lateria, and that word refers to someone who is a hired hand or someone who is in the position of being hired and serving the person who hired them. And many times that word gets translated worship in the New Testament because that's the position that we're in when it comes to us and God. He's in charge, and we are the people who are serving him, and so it gets translated worship. But this phrase, and in some uh, translations of the Bible, it is translated this way. This phrase could easily be translated, not which is your spiritual worship, but which is your logical act of service. And what Paul is saying here in this sentence is that I'm inviting you. In view of everything that God has done for you, in view of all he's done for you through Christ, to give your lives to him and to do everything that he calls you to do, even when it's difficult and even when it's hard and even when other people look at you and think you're crazy. And this 
is your logical act of service. This makes sense. In view of God's mercy, thinking about what God has done for you, it only makes sense to live the way that God is calling us to live. In fact, what Paul would say is the irrational person, the irrational person would say, I believe that God exists. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm just going to do everything I want to do my own way. I believe that this is true. You know, I believe that God sent Jesus and died on the cross for my sins. But, but you know, there's a lot of things in here that are old. And I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to follow those things. I think I can piece together how I should live my life on a daily basis. I think I can piece together how I should view the world. I think I can piece together a, a construct that works in this modern day and age. I think I can figure that all out. Paul would say that's totally illogical. That's completely irrational. To say, I believe that God did it. I believe that he sent his son. I believe he did all of this for me that I might spend eternity with him and have a relationship with him, but I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. Paul would say that is irrational. What is rational is to say, in view of God's mercy, I'm going to do everything that he calls me to do no matter how difficult it is. I was at a conference the last couple of days uh, at, up at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary up on the North Shore. And one of the speakers was a guy by the name of Duffy Robbins. And uh, he's written a lot of books on ministry, and he's a somewhat well-known speaker. And in his sermon uh, on Friday morning, he told the story of his mother's funeral. And he said that he watched his father take care of his mother through the last few years of her life. In fact, he shared that she had had uh, pretty severe Alzheimer's for about a decade. And he said he watched his father selflessly and, and you know, courageously care for his mom, do everything for her that she could not do, and bathe her and, and take care of her. He would get up multiple times a night, Duffy said, just to turn her over so that she didn't get sores. And he did it for a year after year, after year. And Duffy said when he was at the funeral for his mom, he walked up to his dad and he said to him, Dad, how did you do it? How did you do it? For all those years, how did you do it? Getting up night after night after night, taking care of all these things, how did you do it? And he said his dad didn't even take his eyes off a picture of his mom that was sitting there. And he said, son... After all the ways that she loved me throughout the years, it was easy. It was just the logical thing to do. He didn't have to think about it. It was just the logical thing that he would go and, and give his life up for hers when she needed him. And what Paul is saying to us this morning is the same thing is true about our relationship with God. It's just the logical thing that we would do. That if God has given his life up for us through Jesus Christ and offered us this salvation, that we then in turn would offer our lives up to him and we would do what it is that he is calling us to do, even if it makes other people think that we've lost our minds or that we're being foolish. The only rational thing Paul says is to do what it is that God's called us to do in light of his mercy to us. I keep hearing this phrase. In fact, I've heard it a lot in this election cycle. People will say something like, I can't believe that in 2016, people still think this way. Or I have friends that will say to me, how can you in 2016 let a book that was written thousands of years ago dictate your life and your practice? 
Listen, if God is who he says he is and God did what he said he did, then it only makes sense for me to live that out. People talk as if we opened up to the back cover and there would be a date stamped. And it would say, this expires on December 31st, 2015. There's no expiration date here. Either God is who he says he is, or he's not. And if he is who he says he is, then he's all of it. Or he's none of it. And so if I believe that Jesus Christ did what God says he does, and I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I'm following him, it only makes sense that I would live that out. And I know that all of us have someone in our lives somewhere. It's the person that sits in the desk next to us at school. It's the professor who's teaching our class. It's the coworker at work who has strong opinions and says what they think about Christians. It's the neighbor that we have that we hope they don't ask us where we are right now because if we say church, they'll just roll their eyes at us uh, this afternoon. All of those people that are out there, uh, they, they, they affect us. And we get challenged and we start to say to ourselves, well, is it right for me to live this way? Should I really live this out? Should I do what God is calling me to do? And Paul is reminding us this morning that God is who he says he is. And he's shown you great mercy. And you will be with him one day. And so it is perfectly rational and perfectly logical to do what it is that he is calling you to do. I'm going to invite our worship team to come to the front. And as they come, there's a man by the name of Jim Elliott who you may have heard of before. And Jim Elliott, he passed away in the 50s, I believe 1956. He was 29 years old, and he died in a jungle in Ecuador. He left the United States with some other missionaries, and they went down to Ecuador to try to minister to a group called the Aka Indians. And they were down there in Ecuador, and um, Jim Elliott, along with a few of the other missionaries, four others, they all were killed by the very people they were trying to minister to. I think there's a lot of people who would look at that situation and they would say, what a fool. What a fool. That he would go and that he would do that. 29 years old, what a waste. A few years before that happened, Jim Elliott wrote in his journal one evening. And he wrote what is a fairly famous quote. But what is so true when it comes to our life with God. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God's calling you to do something. He's calling you to think some way. He's calling you to take a stand. He's calling you to, to give. He's calling you to do something. And he's asking you this morning, will you live it out for me? Will you do what it is I've called you to, to do in view of my mercy to you? Will you live out this life I've called you to live? Let's think about this together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? God, we thank you this morning for your mercy to us your great mercy in sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, your great mercy in that even while we were yet sinners, you still died for us. We thank you for that reality and we thank you for what you've done on our behalf.
And God, I pray today for all of us. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would empower us to go and live the life that you called us to live. I pray that we would be the kind of people who would, in light of what you've done, go out and live the lives that you have called us to live. God, I know that there are some people in this room right now that you are talking to, things that they know are inconsistent in their lives with your word, things that we know that you're calling us to do that we've been afraid to step out and do. And God, I pray that this morning, it would be the morning that by your spirit and in light of all you've done for us, that we would be willing to go out from here and to live dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. Give us the strength to do what we pray in Jesus' name.